Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Um, uh, life is crazy right now, mm-hmm. Tyler, um, because we've, I've been very busy. I'm sure you have, too. I know one thing that we did recently that took up a whole damn day That's right. was we watched all four of the David Yates Harry Potter movies. That's mm-hmm. Order of the Phoenix, Half-Blood Prince, and then Deathly Hallows Parts 1 and 2. We watched them all back to back to back in a row uh, and recorded ourselves talking during the movies uh, and had our, our, our friends and friends of the show come cycle through and eat jelly beans and make dumb jokes about uh, actress Claudia Kim and the demon of people from Michigan and yeah. uh, <laughs> a lot oh, of yeah. really stupid jokes. <laughs> um, uh, and it's a lot of fun and it's available. It's a, it's a way to support the show. It's uh, what is it? It's, if you want to buy them individually, it's three bucks yeah. right, each, but you don't want to do that. You want to spend 10 bucks because that way you get the whole experience and you save a couple bucks. Yes. So 10 bucks for all four of them. They're available on the website on the left-hand uh, side right now. Um, it really was uh, a ton of fun. Um, sad to see this uh, year of Harry Potter. Uh, yeah. Sad to put it in the, in the rear view. And something that does happen every once in a while when we do this type of thing is that it's not as though I, I feel like we say things that are enjoyable and insightful. Uh, but there, something that does happen every once in a while is that when you're watching a movie with the sound off, uh-huh. <clears throat> It forces you to like really look at it, and we are film critics, so I like to think we're really looking at them anyway. But when you remove the sound, like I was, n- I never considered myself a huge fan of Half Blood Prince. Watching it this way, I think I failed to realize just how absolutely gorgeous it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Bruno Dubonnel is the the Oscar nominated. Um, yeah cinematographer for that film and so it's just it was it was a very interesting uh yeah. that happens every once in a while when and we, we talked these. about that too i, I should yeah. I, I mean I, I joked that and say we just like said dumb shit the whole time but we do talk about the movies and we have yes. people on who have um serious thoughts about them as yeah. film or serious thoughts about them from a fandom point of view mm-hmm. or both you know you can be both yeah uh we got some really great insights anyway it's all available it's a uh, it was a fun time you don't have to listen to it 10 hours in a row um, i would suggest it <laughs> i mean it might be fun to do that but uh you can break it up so let's uh um another have, way yeah, another way to support there you go uh battleship pretension is to uh uh support our support our sponsors what do you visit our sponsors is that support what our sponsors I think? uh so yeah uh, one of them is miniflix which is the premier streaming site for award-winning short films miniflix acquires short films that have premiered at Cannes, sundance uh toronto in toronto international film festival and many more meaning that you can see great short films available nowhere else online miniflix also offers several oscar nominated and oscar winning short films unavailable on typical free video platforms Uh, along with these great short films miniflix also has a blog featuring editorials and interviews right now you can read an interview with los angeles filmmaker andy motz talking about his latest film uh, among sorrows and songs uh, which is uh, it uh, tells the story about the state of HIV culture now that it's no longer a death sentence which is something that I was thinking about the other day is that you know d- teaching college students who are in their late teens and then also middle schoolers that are 12 and 13 uh, 
for people our age and certainly people uh, a generation up, I mean, AIDS and HIV was this epidemic. I mean, everybody was talking about it and understandably mm-hmm. so. And it's just so interesting that just through not that I'm looking to necessarily praise big pharma, but through pharmaceutical, you know, through medical yeah. breakthroughs, like it is not, it's still a, an awful thing, but it's a thing that you can live yeah. with your, your whole life. And so I'm sure I don't want to praise big pharma at all. And I'm not going to, because yeah. this, uh, you know, now we're in a situation where they get customers for longer to be cynical about it, you know? Well, uh, I guess there is that. Yes. Uh, that, that's always my fear because I'm, you know, kind of anti, so you're saying, is I'm, you're saying you'd just, rather these people die than no, support I, I, big pharma. I just worry that from a the point of view of people who create pharmaceuticals, there's more sure. incentive to create this type of thing than to actually cure disease. Then a cure. Okay, got it. Got uh, it. Anyway, but um, that's just me. I, mean, I don't know. I'm very cynical. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, uh, something you were talking about, it reminded me there's a uh, there's a reality series. Uh, it's more of a docu series, I think, called mm-hmm. NY Med that ran for, ran for a couple seasons that just followed um, doctors in New York hospitals. Mm-hmm. And one thing I learned is it used to be that in terms of like organ donation or organ, like receiving a transplant, mm. being HIV, HIV positive took you off the list. Mm. Now, oh. now it's, if you've lived at HIV positive, you're considered uh, a desirable donor now for an organ because you've sort of proven that you can stick to the medical regimen and everything. You oh, know what I mean? Like yeah. you're in. T- and so now they're, uh, the, those are people they want to give organs to, yeah. uh, ideally because they know that they're not going to, you know, um, you know, fail again in a couple of years. Right. These are people who take care of themselves. And, uh, you know, driving around Los Angeles, I was looking here that this, uh, director, Andy Montz is a Los Angeles filmmaker. If you drive around here long enough for the last few months, I've noticed a, a series thriving. of billboards thriving. Yeah. It's, uh, people who have been living with HIV for a while. Um, and, uh, and they're not merely surviving. They're in fact thriving. So, yeah. uh, it's, it's something that, uh, I rather luckily have not had to think about in my own life. Um, and, uh, but it's definitely something that is, as I was reading this description, it just got me thinking about that. But, uh, anyway, so that is one interview that you can read, uh, on the mini flicks blog. And then they also finish up, uh, their three part article series about the short films of Barry Jenkins. So a lot of stuff going on over there at mini flicks. Uh, so if you want to check out these and other articles, just go to the page for this week's movie journal and click on the mini flicks banner at the bottom. All right. What'd you watch this week? Well, I watched four movies, David. Two of them are rewatches, and uh, two of them are not. Uh, the first one I watched was Ruben Fleischer's Venom. Okay. Because I guess someone had to, and <laughs> it started at the right time. Uh, yeah, so, you know, this is one of those things that um, every once in a while, I'm sure you've experienced this. I, I certainly know I have every once in a while where you as a movie as you're watching a movie uh your own opinion and your thoughts are developing and you're and you feel like not that you have a hot take but that you have a unique take uh and then you read the reviews and you realize nope every single person who's ever watched (laughs) this thing um because as i was watching venom i was like this movie feels old this feels like late 90s early 2000s um just the color palette um, the vil- the the type of villain, um, the the character beats, it all just feels very. Uh, 
Daredevil and a, a little bit of Blade in there. Feels like Spawn at times, quite a bit. Um, and that's that's Spawn. It's not very good. Yeah, Blade um, is. I like Blade. Blade's I good. never saw Blade. Um, but yeah, and uh, if you watch Blade, then you have a reason to watch Blade Two, which is even better. And then it's on to Blade Trinity. <laughs> yeah, right. The, the pinnacle. <laughs> <laughs> um, those first two are just a means to an end. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, so it definitely felt like that. And now a film feeling like a throwback is not a bad thing. Um, but it's more like those movies were superhero movies had had existed long before that. But, uh, when we think of like the modern superhero movie, um, the late nineties, early two thousands were kind of this interesting transition as superhero films were trying to figure out what they wanted to be. Um, the X-Men movie came out in 2000. So it feels like that. And it feels like a transitional movie. It feels like a movie that doesn't know what it wants to be. On one hand, it clearly wants to be rated R, but isn't (laughs) because it needs to appeal to a different audience. Um, it doesn't know if it wants to be funny. Uh, it doesn't know how dark it wants to be. It doesn't know if venom is a good guy or a bad guy. The thing you said is an ongoing problem for me with Ruben Fleischer movies. I didn't see gangster gangster land. Is that what it was called? Uh, gangster squad, gangster squad, right? Yeah. Zombie land. Zombie Land yeah, yeah. and 30 Minutes or Less are both movies that I feel like pull their punches. Like they're kind of dark comic premises sure, yeah. that never go as dark as they, as I want right. them to. Uh, so that, that, that's just definitely, I guess, uh, what's confirms some of my suspicions about Ruby well, Fleischer. This definitely keeps it going. And, and I don't know how much of it is him. I don't know how much of it is the studio, but it just feels like, I'm being pulled in all directions and not in the way that I think the movie would want me to, because it's about this guy who gets this alien symbiote attached to him and it's, and he can hear its voice in his head and all that. Uh, so it doesn't feel schizophrenic in that way. It just feels like it feels like rewrites and reshoots and recuts and all of that until finally you're left with this thing that just feels incomplete and, incredibly slight which you know uh you were a comic book guy i don't remember if you read any spider-man when venom was really coming to the forefront and became like his his essential villain in the 90s yeah i think i i I don't remember reading much um uh 90s spider-man so is this based this is uh, eddie brock is his name it's eddie brock and is that the character in the 90s too yeah okay because i'm in the later Spider-Man, Venom is the high school bully. Oh, Flash! So Flash, like someone like Dan Gavazin might be listening. Sure, correct me, but Flash like becomes a he goes he joins the military and goes to war and is paralyzed in the war, hmm. and then the symbiote attaches to him and he becomes kind of a good guy. Oh, okay. Like with the Venom through the Venoms, so he's also kind no. of, but he's a bully turned good guy, and. Eddie, it sounds like they've they've taken some of that because this Venom is never anything close to a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um, this Eddie Brock is not the Eddie Brock of the comics. This is a, a, a he is a journalist, but he is, he fights the fights for the little guy and all that sort of thing. It is a 
I would say a frustratingly twitchy performance by Tom Hardy. I feel like he didn't know what he wanted to do. Um, I think he might've been bored by the character. And so just decided, all right, uh, I'm going to throw in a lot of weird things uh, that make him really hard to get a handle on. Um, but yeah, so voice, of course. Yeah. He likes doing those weird voices. Um, wouldn't it be, fu- wouldn't it be like- fun for him and Johnny Depp to get together and just, it's like, all right guys for five minutes, use your own voices. Do you want to know if maybe we've never heard Tom Hardy's <laughs> real voice? <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I remember John Oliver talking about, uh, David Beckham does a lot of ads mm-hmm. in the UK, but he never speaks in them because David Beckham's actual speaking voice is weirdly like thin and reedy okay. <laughs> for this like hunk. Right, know? right. And so I wonder if Tom Hardy's real voice is like, "Hey guys," <laughs> he sounds like John uh, John Fiedler, uh, who did the voice of Piglet. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> so uh, also juror number two, by the way, if you've right, watched yeah, uh, Twelve Angry Men. Um, but yeah, so it's just it's it's not a good movie. It could have been. Uh, Riz Ahmed does a fine job with the villain, but I, even that he has a couple interesting scenes, but even that feels really hollow. It just, that's the word for it. It just feels incredibly hollow and it really could have been something special, but it, and it also feels like a cash in. It feels like Sony was like, all right, look, we screwed up the Spider-Man thing. Now Marvel's got that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what do, what can we, what can we make money on? And they made money on yeah. it. So there's going to be another one. They definitely hinted, more than hinted, but they basically set up what the next one will okay. be. Um, but this is not MCU, right? It is not MCU. Okay. <clears throat> um, so. but earlier when I couldn't think of flash's name, I mm-hmm. was, I was like turbo <laughs> <laughs> Gemini. Is it nitro? <laughs> well, Oh, what a great, what a great transition. Actually really? speaking of oh, Gemini, how exciting. or as they say it in the movie, Gemini, I saw Damien Chazelle's first man. Okay. Or firstman. But no, they actually do say <laughs> about Bob firstman. The, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, they actually do say Gemini about the Gemini program. Interesting. The entire movie. Um, and I, I, I got used to it. The thing I didn't get used to that almost know. knocked a full star off for you. <laughs> the other, the other thing that I, I guess got used to, it doesn't have, uh, Ryan Gosling plays Neil Armstrong, who is from Ohio. And, uh, Ryan Gosling is trying to do like, I think, I think like an Eastern Ohio accent. Uh, he doesn't have that many lines in the movie, which is good. Cause he kind of talks like, I can't do the accent, but you know, how Joe Namath talked about like football. Like he kind of has this weird, okay. like, uh, when you're playing football, I, I can't do the voice, Yeah, but, uh, Ryan Gosling is doing a weird voice okay. in first man, but it doesn't, uh, distract. Thank God. And I actually ended up, I would say just shy of loving the movie. Um, I, I liked it a lot. I, I love La La Land. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is as good as La La Land. I would say it's probably better than Whiplash, but that could be my um, just inability to embrace Miles Teller as a screen presence um, in general. Hmm. Uh, I'm not a big fan of him. Uh, but it does fit into... Damien Chazelle's the sort of Uber that he's building. He clearly has, you know, when we look back on Damien Chazelle, auteur, he clearly has themes that he's working out in each of his movies, mm-hmm. which is about people attempting to balance their ambition with their relationships with other human beings. Yeah. Um, their basic humanity. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so in some ways, 
uh, Ryan Gosling's this movie's version of Neil Armstrong is kind of the stereotypical movie like workaholic. He mm-hmm. doesn't have time for his family or kids. You know, he's, he'd much rather be at work than with his kids. Um, but uh, a couple things. The movie, I think, um, I think recognizes that he's kind of an asshole. Okay. Um, and the movie is about that and also is much more psychologically interested. It's not, this isn't like the, uh, you know, um, the Santa Claus type movie about the guy who just needs to relearn the value of family. Right. Like it's right. really exploring why he is the way he is. And one of the reasons that he is the way he is, or I would say, I should say the movie doesn't offer clear answers and there's sort of a chicken egg type of thing about like, this is a guy who has, um, experienced a lot of loss in his life. People close to him in the Gemini Brave, you know, you know, if you've seen the right stuff or read mm-hmm. your history, whatever, you know that, uh, astronauts died, uh, um, in, in testing these, um, in the early days of space travel. Uh, and so he loses clo- close friends. He had a young, and this is true. He had a young daughter who died when she was two. Uh, and so there is, I think the movie has an ongoing question of like, is he unable to relate because he's, because of the loss that he's experienced that right. he's not processing or is he unable to process loss and grief because he is the way he is? You know, it's a, it's a, it's a really great, I think yeah. there, there's some really great character, uh, thing, morsels that are sort of tossed out there and left for the audience to chew over. Um, but I'm kind of skipping over what I think is the real, uh, the, the, the real heart of first man, which is the, this is, I, I, you know, I normally don't, I, I, I try to avoid this kind of like, uh, cheerleadering of a movie, but I would say this is one that's definitely worth seeing in a theater. I mean, you could say that all movies are worth seeing in a theater right. or you could say that, uh, people can, that is de- probably not de- true. <laughs> yeah. People can decide for themselves. Um, and maybe no movies worth seeing in a theater, uh, because you have to be around other people most of the time. Um, <laughs> which is a bit of a turnoff for me. Uh, but this I, think, is, I think you should maybe watch this movie again and really pay attention, David. <laughs> uh, but this movie, it actually, this is going to sound like I'm exaggerating at one point in the, the prologue. Cause there's a first sequence that's a, is pre astronauts when he's a test pilot and he's testing a, a X 15 or something. And there's a moment in that where I almost like I was on star tours at Disneyland, like actually kind of like threw my head back in my seat (laughs) because it was like so intense and so experiential and so much of the, the, the space flights. And there's a part where he's testing the, uh, testing a craft and has to, um, eject. And so much of that is like, there are a lot of POV shots and when there aren't, there are a lot of close-ups, and there was a lot of on the soundtrack, a lot of, a lot of focus on breathing and like the mm-hmm. rustling and like the personal sounds. It really feels, it really is the movie that is made to, to make you feel as much as you can while sitting comfortably in a movie theater yeah. uh, at the Academy on vine, <laughs> which is where I saw it um, to make you feel like you're like you're there. Um, it's a, it's a really good time. I also, it, it sounds stupid to say that I don't want to spoil a movie when it's based on facts, right. but there are beats near the end um, that reach a level of, uh, emotion and maybe shine a light on the character that I didn't see coming. And that really, really affected me. It's Um, like captain Phillips. I mean, everything, everything about it is having not seen the film, but I just uh mean that like it's based on a true story. We all now know how it turned out, but no, 
but that last scene where he's being questioned and is in shock. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's, that's not written anywhere. And even if it is, it's not, yeah. it's not going to feel that. And I, and because I didn't know that was coming again, it's not a plot point, but it's just like, yeah. it's one of the most powerful moments I've seen in, in screen acting in a long time. Yeah. Um, this is more, I mean, it's not just the acting. There's, there are, you know, right. Screenplay beats that I, that I didn't see coming. Um, but the last thing I'll say is this is a, a just a great showcase for all of the, um, essentially every American white male character actor between 30 and 50 <laughs> is in this movie. It's the Harry Potter of, <laughs> yeah, exactly. of America. Uh, I mean, you've got, uh, first off, Corey Stoll plays Buzz Aldrin and plays him in such a way that his defining trait is that he's obnoxious. Okay. <laughs> and I think that's hilarious. Uh, you've got Christopher Abbott. Do you know who that actor is? He was on girls and then he had the movie James white that he did with Cynthia Nixon. Yeah. Uh, he's got a movie coming out called piercing that I saw at Sundance. He's a really good, really talented actor. Oh, he was in, um, uh, what was the horror ish movie, uh, last year with Joel Edgerton. They come at night. Is that what it's called? Oh, that's it it the comes yeah, at yeah. night, something like that. Yeah. He's in that. He's great. Uh, who else? Kyle Chandler's in it. Kieran Hines is in it. Who's not American, but is playing an American. Uh, Lucas Haas, Patrick Fugit, uh, Shea Wiggum, Ethan Embry. It's just, uh, every white male character actor of that age is in the movie. Shea Wiggum yeah. feels right. Yeah, the she, others I'm sure are fine, but yeah. like him being in a NASA movie is like, yeah, that, there and we go. He plays the same role that Fred Ward played in the right stuff, oh, okay. which is, uh, uh, Gus think, Grissom. Yeah. Gus Grissom. Okay. Um, what else? Uh, I'm going on too long with the movie. The last thing I want to say is, um, I've been thinking, you know, I, I often think a lot, but I've been thinking a lot specifically about the Bechdel test mm-hmm. recently. Um, uh, not to spoil things for listeners. Is one of your movies today, a star is born? No. Okay. So in a star is born, which is not one of my movies today. Um, a star is born basically, passes the Bechdel test only because there's a stage hand who tells Lady Gaga's character how to get to the stage from the backstage area. And, but it passes. Well, and, and they cut out a moment where Lady Gaga's like, are there any men there? <laughs> <laughs> um, and first man, like my wife was like, I think that failed the Bechdel test. And I was like, no, technically it passed because when they moved to Houston, Jason Clark's character's wife comes over to the plate of cookies and says, welcome to the neighborhood and has a moment with Claire Foy as Arm- an Armstrong's drag wife. And I've been thinking, it's just something that I, does it count I, as passing when that's it's what I'm that? saying. It does technically. And that's what I, that's what I feel like I'm harping on this because I'm always thinking about the Bechdel test. I think it's a fantastic way of taking an overview of movies. Mm-hmm. You know, this many movies passed the Bechdel test this year. That's, I think that's very important and it does signify something about the kind of roles that we tend to see and that tend to be cast and tend to be written. But on a one, on a case by case basis, the Bechdel test can be essentially meaningless. <laughs> right. You know I mean? Like, yeah, it's when it's a situation where someone's like, I think it failed. And it was like, no, no, did you not, were you not paying attention? Uh, did you for two seconds lose focus? Because <laughs> yeah. during that two seconds, yeah. it passed with flying colors. Like it's, I, I feel like yeah, it's possible. I think to, uh, what is it? Miss you, you don't see the woods for the trees. Like you're, you're focused on that. And it's like, but the spirit of the Bechdel test, I'd say, uh, that's, yeah, a, yeah. that's a big fail. Yeah. Yeah. So, but not that it's not that I don't care about the Bechdel test. It's just that, uh, I tend not to think that much about it. Um, so, uh, 
Okay, next up for me is Morgan Neville's Won't You Be My Neighbor. Oh, good. I saw this. Okay. Um, I really liked it. Didn't love it. Um, it definitely, you know, you, you had a reaction to it, right? Like you, you, uh, cried, but you're an easy cry by I'd your own admission. Really I'd cried it like <laughs> you cried at your phone just now when you were looking your, at your email. No, like three of the four movies that I'll be talking about this week, I cried during and I only really like one of them. <laughs> So, uh, and it's first man is the one that I really like that I, uh, cried. I, I cry so easily. It's interesting. Yeah. That's good though. I think, mm, you know what, but what's not good okay. is it doesn't happen in real life. It happens in movies. Oh, okay. All right. That's <laughs> worth exploring, uh, yeah. off mic. I think, um, yeah, I, I definitely, I mean, I definitely, uh, teared up a couple, uh, at a couple moments, uh, and then it, it, played into some some other stuff that I've been talking about with friends lately and it, it talks about some of Mr. Rogers personal philosophies one about one is that silence is a wonderful thing like it's not merely a thing that should be filled or a thing that should be avoided um nor is it a thing that should you know grudgingly be brought into your life it's actually a gift just the ability to just silence can be as close as you not talking, you know, and in that moment you can think about, uh, the people that have done great things for you, or you can be aware of maybe something that's not going so well that you've been pushing out of your mind and drowning out. And so I love all of that. I think that's really great. I did get a bit frustrated by politics, which I wasn't expecting, and I was mostly okay with. Okay. Up to a point. Uh first off, what I what I love is that I where it they have him he does episodes about civil rights. He does episodes about the our, the Bobby Kennedy assassination. Mm-hmm. But what I what I love about it is that you know there there are movies and TV shows where it's very clear that the the adults and, and animated movies and stuff, the adults making it are using the medium of this kids, this thing that's for kids and families to make a point for other adults. Okay, that's not what he's doing. That's I think that's a little bit exploitative. What he even though if, even if it is effective for me, he literally is just kids are hearing this word assassination. And they might not know what it means and they might not ask their parents or their parents might not explain it in just, in just the right way. So I'm going to, he literally is just rather than use the kid's show to make a, an adult point. He's taking the fact that adult points are probably already being made, but kids might not understand them. And he's saying, I'm going to help you with this. Um, and I really like that. It's just, and I also love the fact that they, they explain, they explore this idea that, we all heard rumors about Mr. Rogers, the idea that like, Oh, he's a secret Navy seal. Like, uh-huh. and they say, no, he's just a decent person. <laughs> I know it's hard to believe. And we want somehow we want to believe that there's more to that. Nope. He's just a decent person. Isn't that terrifying? Like the fact of him being a, a good person 
it's like silence. It's like, no, 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 surely we can't live with that. All right. Yeah. What frustrates me is that, so, okay. We've all seen the clip of him testifying before Congress or the Senate. I don't recall, but, uh, about getting the, the budget for PBS. Um, and it's a really wonderful moment and I love it. It's basically him winning just by being him Uh by just your being you, David. Um, it's a thing he says anyway. Um, so we see that and, and it was like, okay, Johnson really liked the idea of PBS, but ah, now here's the Nixon administration and Congress trying to cut it. Okay, fine. And then there's, then they, they show a clip from Fox news after he died. When one of the things that frustrates me so much is like, there were people who said like, Oh, he's an evil man because yeah. he, he an evil, evil man, an is, evil, evil man. Yeah. yeah I remember yeah, specifically what is said about him because of the idea that he was teaching kids that they were special just the way they were. And thus the kids started to feel entitled and all that sort of things. Like no asshole. Like, look, I recognize that, that you want to see this through a political lens, that's fine. But if, if I were to ask, you know, if I don't know if those Fox people consider themselves Christian, but if they did, then it's just, it's the idea of like, yeah, God loves you unconditionally. You don't have to earn it. I mean, you can't lose it. You can't earn it. It's just there already. And no matter what mistakes you make, it's still there. That love on a cosmic level. That's what that's about. Okay. But they did say that, and they included it, rightfully so. The one thing they didn't include, and boy was I ready for it, was his getting the Presidential Medal of Freedom from George W. Bush. Hmm. That's interesting, yeah. And, that, and that's the thing, is like, and throughout, you know, they're talking to his wife, they're talking to his kids, and there are moments where he's, he's questioning if he's making a big difference in this world. Well, when the President of the United States says... I'm going to give you the highest honor a civilian can get Mm -hmm. granted in the same ceremony as Bill Cosby. We'll we'll put that out. We'll put (laughs) that, put that to the side. They can't all be winners. Um, but like, that's a big deal. And it feels like that's a, that's a peak. And it's towards, it was towards the end of his, I think he was gone six months later. Um, did it? Yeah. I wonder if it just didn't fit the narrative of him not being appreciated, I guess, or right. It's, yeah. it didn't fit the narrative of, if you'll pardon me, like, I don't know Morgan Neville's politics, but I think I can guess yeah. when like it's, it's Republicans don't appreciate him. Like Nixon, Fox news, this Senator whose name I don't remember, like they don't appreciate him. It's like, but when the time came a admittedly not loved Republican gave him this thing. And it just um, seemed like it yeah. could have been such a nice moment of triumph. I don't know. Um, you said you think you can guess Morgan Neville's politics. I don't know because, I mean, Best of Enemies was fairly I know, it evenly was very, balanced, I felt But like. there were two filmmakers on that. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know? Maybe. And that's and I, and I feel like I can guess because of this. It almost felt like they make a point of saying he was a lifelong Republican, but it almost felt like, if you'll pardon me, this is where, this is where I get paranoid. It almost felt like he was like... Let's say Morgan Neville, let's, for the sake of argument, let's say he's a liberal. It's like he was trying to claim him. And if, and if George I, W. Bush is giving him the Presidential Medal of Freedom, that doesn't fit, and I can't claim him when a Republican president gives him that. So I'd rather I, cut it out completely. Yeah, I mean, you could be right, but I don't... I think maybe you're projecting some of your bitterness at smug liberals onto him. I think it is literally just like... Okay. There's just a narrative... 
that he's established. I'm not saying it's a good thing that he did that, right? But it's a, there's an urgency to establish that at this point in his life, he'd been turned on by certain groups of people, and that right. didn't fit the narrative. I don't think I if. Or if a Democrat had been in office at that time and had given him the medal, I still think he would have left it out because it didn't fit the narrative. I, but that's just, uh, I don't know any more than you do. These are both just our own hypotheses. Right. So, so putting aside concepts of narrative, I just think it is a bad decision from a personal level because, like I said, it turns out he was more insecure than we thought. And this, not that this oh, would have yeah. fixed it, but it definitely would have been going out on a high note, not to, you know, and maybe it didn't. Maybe, what if, what if he still felt insecure? I would have liked to see that. And so it's just stuff like that. And then during the credits, they show uh, that kid in, in the wheelchair, like all grown up, uh-huh. and he presented a Lifetime Achievement Award. It's a really wonderful moment. I've watched it on YouTube huh. several times. Um and so I thought, like, oh, okay, they'll they'll probably keep the Medal of Freedom thing for the credits, and then no, huh. and it's just, and that's the thing is, so for for a lot of people, like, if I hadn't said it, would you have known? No, I didn't know. And then it's a documentary <laughs> about about Mister Rogers, where we find uh, out things about him that we didn't know. But I don't think a documentarian has uh, a, a responsibility to put everything in. It's we have to we have to take every documentary with a grain of salt and understand that it's someone's point of view. That's true. So, and if that's the case, this v- huge moment in a person's life, I feel like whatever Morgan Neville's point of view, maybe he is a dyed in the role, dyed in the wool Reaganite. It seems <laughs> unlikely, but you never know. You never know. Um, if that's the case, then I think it is just a, a, a bad call to leave that out. Okay. Cause I think it would have had real, real power and it would have gotten us, we would have had the opportunity to like, they could have questioned like his wife and children about that moment, but mm. whatever we can move on. Sorry. All right, let's move on to a movie that I was, um, frankly dreading, uh, and it turned out to be everything and less than I thought it would be <laughs> because I was not a fan of Joel Edgerton's directorial debut, the gift. Right. And so now he's made a new movie that a is still directed by him and B is about a subject matter that promised to be unpleasant. Uh, and it's called boy erased and it is based on the true story of a, um, uh, God, is it Arkansas? Yeah, Arkansas uh, teenager played by Lucas Hedges who uh, comes out to his parents and is uh, enrolled um, willingly at the time in gay conversion therapy, Mm -hmm. Um, making it our second gay conversion therapy movie of 2018. Uh, I didn't see them as Education of Cameron Post. I heard that was pretty good. Yeah, maybe I I wish I'd seen that one instead. Yeah. Because this one, yeah, everything about it was... Australian? Uh, oh yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, uh, isn't that weird? Uh, but every, like, it's Joel Edgerton is in it as the um, gay conversion therapist. Although, uh, as we learned, he has no qualifications to call himself a therapist. Um, and then Russell Crowe and Nicole Kidman are the parents. Yeah, so they're all doing uh, American accents. What's I imagine as soon as George, Joel Edgerton called cut Lucas Hedges had no idea what anyone was saying. (laughs) Um, uh, He had to figure out, he had to figure it out phonetically what they were saying. Yeah. You know, um, I'll get back to the movie. So the, uh, you know, the, I'll throw throw another shrimp on the Barbie thing, which comes from the, 
Australian tourism ads in the eighties with Paul Hogan, mm-hmm. which I watched this week just out of curiosity. Cause I was like, Oh, that's where that's from. So I watched it and he's, he doesn't say I'll throw another shrimp on the barbie. He says like, come on down. I'll slip another shrimp on the barbie for you. <laughs> and he holds up this enormous prawn. Um, that anyway. sounds, uh, sneaky yeah. <laughs> it's uh, like well no one's looking it's like i'm not actually supposed to be here but yeah. i i can help you out uh anyway so the movie in some it, it was yeah everything i thought it would be it was uh made kind of it, it has the sort the same sort of sogginess of the gift where it's like you know we're making something serious and everything's sort of like yeah. bluish gray and everyone's very serious all the time. Um, and, uh, it's so convinced of its own heaviness. Uh, and then on top of that, it's, it feels weird to be like, I don't know. Sometimes a movie will be politically made for me and I'll be for it. Mm. And then sometimes uh, a movie is politically made for me and it feels like, what am I supposed to do? Like pat myself on the back. And that's what yeah. boy erased feels like nearly two hours of inviting people to pat themselves on the back for finding gay conversion therapy barbaric, which mm-hmm. we know it's been banned in uh, like half the States almost at this point. Uh, we know that these people like Joel Edgerton have no, uh, there it's not rooted in any, uh, therapeutic mm-hmm. science. Um, and we know from things like this real kids, uh, he's an adult now, um, his story because he uh, became a journalist and wrote about it. We know that, um, at least in the case of this one that's being dramatized, there was, uh, physical abuse going on and there Ugh. were, um, and also verbal and mental verbal, emotional abuse. And they were specifically, uh, telling these kids not to tell anyone outside when they went home, what went on in there. Um, and kids get in trouble when they do, when their parents do find out what happened. Um, and it's, yeah, it's awful. It's just, everything is terrible. And the movie just seems to want to, uh, to be, it just seems so smug and so pleased with itself for, letting us know something that we knew was terrible because the, I, I could have just read the kids. Right. Well, he's not a kid anymore, but he was a kid at the time. I said that twice now. I could have just read his article and gotten everything and not spent again, two hours, uh, you know, being flated by this movie. Uh, I, I remember years ago when God's not dead came out, uh, I did a, a more than one lesson episode about it. And then I just forced Josh to watch it. I just, I just forced him to see these things. Uh, and as we were talking about, it's like, it's just, that's a movie that is all, it's just two hours of saying you're so right. Mm -hmm. And the way Josh said, is like, he goes, yeah, I know. I I don't need you. I don't need you for this. Uh, it's, it, it's so interesting. Like how, and I'm sure some people, this is going to sound shitty. I can't help it. I'm sure some people will be total suckers for it. People like being oh, told they're right. Oh, people were bawling behind me. Again, this is one of the movies that I cried well, at, even though I didn't well, like it. It's still it, emotional. But, like, yeah, yeah. You know. it, it, yeah, but, um, it, yeah, but the, I felt like there are some times when I leave a movie and it's like, 
I need to get out of here because I, I feel like everyone around me liked this and I don't want to, I feel like just, <laughs> yeah. not, without even saying anything, I feel like I'm going to like harsh someone's buzz just by, yeah. uh, and I think the, it happened with the Danish girl a couple of years ago, which sure. I couldn't stand. Uh, and this is another one. And here's another thing that really, really got under my nerves about the movie is that the movie wants to sell, like in the parts that take place after the conversion therapy, the movie wants to applaud Lucas Hedges's character for being willing to still remain sympathetic to the people who put him in this place mm-hmm. while the movie itself is not sympathetic to them. So it, 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 some of it, like Russell Crowe is a very good actor. And so some of it comes like, there's some humanity that comes through. Yeah. Um, but he still is just, it's what you call the Aaron Brockovich syndrome. You oh, know, yeah. he's just, this is Lucas Hedges movie and he, and he's yeah. behaving like he knows that. Um, or at least the script is again, Russell Crowe is very good in the movie. I feel like a lot of what I've read in terms of performances in terms of supporting performances of people saying that Nicole Kidman is very good and she is, but I feel like this is the kind of thing that happens. We've uh, seen from her before. No, I'm saying this is the kind of thing where people are like, uh, they're applauding a supporting performance when they're really just applauding like a wig. <laughs> like, cause she does have, she's transformed. She mm-hmm. looks like sort of, I mean, I hate to be stereotypical, but like, you know, a upper middle class Southern evangelical wife, you know, she's got the big blonde hair, a lot of makeup. When on. does it take place? Uh, you know, I in the nineties, I would assume. Yeah. I think it's the early, I think it's like 2004. Okay. I could be wrong about that. Um, uh, but I think he says it's 2004. Um, but yeah, I, I, I never saw, um, the Peter Jackson movie with Mark Wahlberg and, uh, the lovely bones. Oh, neither did I. Uh, but I remember Stanley Tucci was nominated for that. I remember, I think Doug Benson or someone was like, he was nominated for his wig and glasses. Oh yeah. Um, and I feel like that's the, like, not that Nicole Kim is not good in the movie. She is, but I feel like what Russell Crowe's doing is a little bit more difficult probably because he's given less to work with. Yeah. Um, and then this, I guess this, this is something that happens at the very, like very, very, the text on screen at the end of the movie is going to sum something happens. that's going to sum up exactly how much I hate this movie. Um, but I also worry maybe people might not want to know something happens at the very end. So maybe skip ahead a few minutes. Yeah. But when it's given, I want to know. Yeah. When it's given this sort of like, um, you know, where everyone, what happened to everyone, like text mm-hmm. on the screen. And so Joe, Joe Ederson's character, it says like the real reverend, I think his name Sykes or whatever, um, no longer practices gay conversion therapy. And then another line, the second line comes up and says he now lives in Texas with his husband. And, people laughed in the theater and I kind of felt yeah. like that's what they, I, th- I feel like the movie wanted you to laugh at that as opposed to maybe seeing him as a person who yes, inflicted a lot of suffering on people, but was clearly going through his own right. shit and maybe having the empathy, the same empathy that Lucas Hedges' character has yeah. for his own father have maybe have that for, for this, you know, maybe to work towards some, some growth and realize that, that that uh, all of these people are are, yeah. are damaged, and it doesn't forgive. It doesn't get him off the hook for literally yeah. beating people, beating a kid with a Bible. But um, uh, <laughs> um, it it's still the the idea of just laughing at that guy who who it's it, it. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm is, being turned off is, by the audience reaction, but I felt like it was that structured. Yeah. It might as well have a wah wah. Yes. It might yeah. as well have that. It is meant for. He is a he is a pulp director. Like <laughs> right. the the gift has. There's there are things I like about the gift. Um, 
from even from a directorial standpoint, I like I off, I like how often people are framed, whether it be a window or a shower. The idea of like it just seems very voyeuristic, like we're like they're constantly looking through windows at each other. So okay, that's it's a choice that kind of worked for me. Um, but he makes like that is a very pulpy, almost uh, not full on grindhouse, but it has that like gross kind of quality to it. And yeah. I think on purpose, but this is, yeah. And, but like that, that choice that you're talking about, just like, and punchline, what yeah, do you think of this? Like, yeah, All right, no, but I feel like you. people who skipped ahead might be catching up now. So okay, we should just sorry. move on. What, what's next for you? Next for me is a rewatch. It is Thor Ragnarok. Um, I saw it when I got back, like almost immediately when I got back from uh, Asia and, uh, I was probably really jet lagged and, uh, was shocked how little I remembered of it. Um, but it's on Netflix now. So I threw it on the other day and, uh, and I, I do enjoy it quite a bit. It's, uh, Taika Waititi who, uh, that's how you say it, right? Uh, that's why I okay. say it. Yeah. Um, it's it just has such a fun sensibility and i do think that kate blanchett is unfortunately kind of wasted as the villain which is a shame um but at the same time jeff goldblum as a different villain is clearly having a great deal of fun um and and i think and chris hemsworth really emerges as uh as understanding how to play something comedic without overplaying it uh with a couple of exceptions here and there um i think the visual effects are are solid it's just a i don't have much to say except that like i think it's a very worthy uh entry in the larger mcu uh but it is also in a way i almost feel like i don't blame i don't blame the director for this i i think i feel like i blame the studio but the the Thor movies, there was certainly a grandeur to them, and there was there was kind of a general silliness to them. Um, but I think there was also a lot of co- I think they committed to it in a lot of ways, and sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But I think I admire, I still admired them for it. Yeah, the first Thor, the Kenneth Branagh one, yeah. is it's pretty much camp in a lot of ways. And yet I really like, I didn't really like it, but I respect that. Yeah. And, and the second one has that as well. Um, this one, it's very clear that, uh, the guardians of the galaxy movies did very well and Hey, this space stuff is kind of silly. So let's play that up. Um, and while I think it works well, part of me feels like, Hey, don't, you leave my, you leave Thor alone, <laughs> you know, uh, e- even though again, it does work really well. And I think it, it makes for an interesting setup. It, it doesn't set up infinity war that much, but as kind of like the last cosmic adventure before yeah. all hell breaks loose, it's, it, it makes it in retro knowing what's going to happen when you look back, uh, it's actually kind of bittersweet. Um, but I was happy that I, that I rewatched it. It's, it's a good movie. I think you would enjoy it. Okay. All right. Uh, now let's talk about a movie that is made for me politically that I actually liked. Okay. Um, I, Did you cry? I, no. And this is okay. the, this is a, a comedy. Um, although it's sometimes it's a uh, um, harrowing uh, mm-hmm. satire. Uh, it's called The Oath. Just, uh, the oh, dire- yeah, yeah. Written by, directed, and starring Ike Barinholtz. Yeah, and, I didn't know that he was that type of person. By which I mean that like he had a story to tell. Oh yeah, and it, I mean I know from his. Twitter that he's a very, you know, 
politically minded, you know, mm-hmm. news houndy type of person. But these days, who isn't? We yeah. all kind of are. Um, but the oath it takes place in sort of an alternate present mm-hmm. in which a in which the president not. Uh, not Donald. We never see the president. Is clearly not Donald Trump because we do have a reference to um, him being from South Carolina. So that I think they intentionally okay. put that in there to be like we're not specifically saying Trump. Okay. They also never specifically say the party, but it's pretty clear. Of course. Um, uh, but again, green, I, right? Uh, You're talking about the Green Party, uh, and and the president has put into action a, a presidential loyalty oath that. Um, citizens are not required to sign it's just an act of patriotism they're putting it you can go sign it online or go sign it in certain places and you have a year to sign it and then there's also a there's a citizens protection unit which is a law enforcement arm of a domestic law enforcement arm of the of homeland security that is uh cracking down on activism like anti Mm -hmm. this president activism um and it doesn't what's scary about it is given our political climate it doesn't actually feel that far from mm-hmm. our world um and, but again what i like about the movie unlike something like boy erased it's not trying to be like hey we're just presenting the facts it is clear like it is not lying to you about the fact that this is a movie from the liberal point of view yeah and it becomes it it doesn't uh, you know it doesn't pull its punches on uh, you know uh, against the conservative characters who are um in, in many ways this feels more bush era than trump era because the conservative characters are kind of smugly anti-intellectual mm. like they're happy about the fact that they don't know what umami means you know like and they laugh, laugh at people for using big words mm-hmm. and uh they re- refer to artsy types or left leftists just as losers there it has that sort of bush era thing to, mm-hmm. that i or thing that i associate with the bush era um but also so much of it is about ike Barinholtz's character is a liberal and basically the a big part of the point of the movie is that being right doesn't mean you're not an asshole <laughs> Sure. (laughs) And that's a big part of his character is that he's a real asshole to everyone. Um, and the fact that he's, that I think he's right. Um, and the movie thinks he's right. Doesn't, you know, that'll get him a, that in, that in two fifty will get him a cup of coffee as the, Mm -hmm. uh, saying goes. Um, uh, but the movie is also very funny. Um, and I'll say a couple more. I'll say, uh, Politically, it's actually, um, and this is because it's another thing that feels kind of uh, Bush era or like the Colbert character type of stereotype of a Republican, you know, Mm -hmm. is that there are certain policy things that come up, but the movie is really like, as this oath, maybe uh, the idea of the oath might suggest it's more about differing ideas of what it means to be a patriot. Right. You know, whereas like Baron Holtz is like, you know, we need to protest the things that are wrong. We need dissent. And then his brother played by his real life brother, by the way, uh, and his girlfriend played by, uh, it's not, I think it's Jay Baron. Oh, okay. Um, uh, um, and his girlfriend is played by Meredith Hagner or Hanye, who is on search party. She's hilarious. Okay. Uh, you still haven't watched search party. I don't think, uh, I would still recommend it to you. I think you'd like it a lot. Um, they 
are more of the like, well, these people, you know, when protesters are literally being disappeared at mm. this point in the movie, they're like, uh, you know, these people weren't doing what they're supposed to do. You know, you say you're an American, you're supposed to love your country that, you know, they're mm-hmm. re- representing those different points of view. Um, the other thing I'll say is that Tiffany Haddish plays Ike Barinholtz's wife. Okay. And she's terrific. And also I, I wouldn't have expected Ike Barinholtz to be the one to cast her against type, but Tiffany Haddish is playing the down to earth level headed one. Hmm. She's the one. Cause the, the premise is that her, the, the whole family's over for Thanksgiving. Right. While at the same time, the, the deadline for signing the oath is black Friday. Um, uh, and then John Cho and Billy Magnuson, you know, who he is, oh, yeah, yeah. uh, they play CPU agents, uh, who show up and things go haywire. Um, and you've got Nora Dunn as his mother, uh, and you've got, uh, his other sister's played by Carrie Brownstein and her husband is played by Jay Duplass. Uh, you've got cast. Max That's Greenfield a in a, like a one, one, uh, one scene, uh, role. It's a great, yeah, it really is a great cast. Um, was it? Well, I forget what I was going to say. Yeah. So it's, he can't stop yelling at his, like, uh, his, his parents or his brother. Um, and Tiffany Haddish is the one who's like pulling him into the room being like, yeah. you know, be a good son or brother. Just be nice to your family. Like, you know, we have our own, we're trying to be members of this family. We're trying to raise our kid. Let's not yell at everyone all the time. She's the level headed one. I, 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 uh, I found the movie, uh, very funny. And, um, I was really surprised by how not strident it was Mm. because it's, again, it has a clear point of view. It is not trying to do a both sides type of thing at all, but it is also very honest and Mm self-aware, uh, uh, about that point of view. I, I really, really dug it. Yeah. It's interesting because I wonder when he wrote it, like the, the specifics and that debate about patriotism, that's not really one you hear now. You yeah, that's heard a it. Very Bush era type yeah. of thing. Yeah. So I wonder, but the idea of like, like I can't believe like the, the P the, the people I'm talking to, they think differently than I do politically. So I am going to be an asshole to them. Like, right that's very much now this idea is like no 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 how could i possibly be a nice person to this person when they oh right when yeah. they think such and such a thing yeah. that i think is a very now attitude whereas the specifics that's interesting i'd like to know more about the because i could see him maybe having written it a while ago before he was better known right you know and could get a movie made yeah uh but yeah that yeah. sounds interesting yeah it probably wasn't a very it's a perfectly nice looking movie probably wasn't very expensive because it is uh, other than like a scene in a car and a scene in his office it's all mm-hmm. in one in like two rooms in this one house it's right like, uh, it has a bottle episode type of feel um yeah uh I, I i i liked it it won't be pleasant for everyone but it is it is funny jay baron holds is that if that's his name uh i don't know him but he's funny too and he okay uh, the, oh, right 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 okay. yeah the guy who um his brother Okay, so last for me, it is a it is a, a rewatch. This is a movie that I assigned uh, for my class. Oh, okay. Uh, and it was uh, Spike Lee's "Do the Right Thing." Oh, I love that. Um, we were talking about the use. We were talking about color, the use of color in film, and so it was between that or Dick Tracy. And I thought it would be more interesting to watch this film given. Uh, the political landscape of the last few years because it allowed me to make the point that great movies will always find a way. I talked about this with Citizen Kane that like 
great movies will always find a way to be relevant. Uh, and I mean, mm-hmm. I did, I specifically did not tell my class when it was made. Um, it's very obviously eighties in some ways. Um, some of the fashions aren't that outlandish really mm-hmm. anymore. Like there's some well, things cycle around. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, uh, it's, it's, uh, quite possibly the best movie of the 1980s i don't know i that i know that's a big thing i also like last Tem- contender yeah yeah i also like last temptation and all that but i do think that it is blue velvet i don't love blue velvet oh, okay. but that's me i haven't seen it in a while um but yeah i i really just adore the movie and merry I, christmas mr lawrence <laughs> as you know i do not care for that film um so the thing that really gets me about the climax and just how, I mean, the movie's just going along, and yeah, people are angry from time to time, but it's kind of a kind of a curmudgeonly type of anger, and it's really hot, and it boy, it feels hot. Mm-hmm. Like you know, that's another use of color. It's just the color temperature of the film is is just crazy. But um, but yeah, uh, when it jumps from just everyone's kind of cantankerous to suddenly, oh shit, like everyone's yelling the camera's super close up on everybody as they're yelling at the top of their lungs you know radio raheem's music is playing very loudly uh and then danny aiello breaks the stereo and then radio raheem goes physically after danny aiello pardon me um danny aiello man why couldn't you go with daniel like that's (laughs) that's so many vowels (laughs) um but uh and then the cops stop radio Raheem, but then they go too far and they actually kill him. And like, it's just, it's this scent. It's this idea of like escalation and that there are so many moments when someone could have done a different thing that could have mm-hmm. avoided the, the horrible stuff that happens. Um, and the fact that there are, that Sal, the Danny Aiello character, he is not a bad person really at all. We really like him. His son, however, John Turturro, yeah. is a provocateur, just as uh, Giancarlo Esposito's character, Bugging Out, uh, he is also a provocateur. Like There are people that just, just get people riled up and just make things worse. Yeah. A- and in the middle, you have Sal and you have Mookie, uh, and I and I will say that like I think I I think we underestimate Spike Lee as an actor. Not that he acts very often, but I think it's a great performance um, in that. And so it's just this. I feel like it's a film that like it, we could. I feel like we could all watch it and at any point since it came out and see ways in which things have changed, ways in which they don't, ways in which this speaks to something even larger than race ways in which it's very specific to race ways in which it's descriptive ways in which it's prescriptive. Like it's just, it's got so much going on. Um, and I like how complex it is in regards to characters that it is not, it is not so simple as these characters are bad. These characters are good. I find the character of Rady Rahim to be remarkably obnoxious. <laughs> he just walks around with his comically oversized stereo and forces you to listen to his music. Yeah. And that, he's rude about the batteries to the uh, convenience store. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and that's the other thing is like characters that we are on the side of 
you know, like we are not happy with what happened to Radio Rahim as much as as frustrating as I might find him. We don't like that. And then the mob mentality kicks in and characters that we sympathize with are now like they whirl around and they say, you're next uh, to the Korean shop owner. And it's just a there's just so much going on. And it is one of the most, you know, it's it's the opposite of Boy Erased, Mm. like. It's going to show you every side and it's going to show you that good character, like genuine, largely good people will do shitty things. And then, but annoying people sometimes will have bad things happen to them. And do they deserve that? Probably not. And the fact that they have these competing quotes by Martin Luther King and Malcolm X there at the end, and then a photo of the two of them smiling. It's, it's just like, Mm -hmm. Spike Lee, when he is, when he's on, I mean, he's an amazing filmmaker, uh, but I don't, th- I, I feel like this was him just putting everything out there and I don't think he would rival it. I, Malcolm X is a great movie. I'm a big fan of 25th hour. I liked black Klansman and I know he's done other films. Uh, but I feel like those are kind of the big ones that people talk about. Um, and, but I feel like this is the one that it's not as though he had nothing left, but clearly it's, he's making movie as though he's never going to be allowed to make a movie again. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's just, it's, it's all out there and listeners, if you haven't seen it and yes, I've already spoiled some, but if, if you haven't seen it, just watch it. It's funny. It's sad. It's, I was going to say action packed, not in a good way. Um, and it's just, uh, and it has just a, an astonishing cast. Um, but anyway, so, right. okay. Well, um, in some ways coming, covering some of the same ground, I saw a movie. Now I'd said earlier that the only movie that I cried at this week that I liked was first man. That's not entirely true. Uh, cause last night I cried quite a bit watching the hate you give. Okay. And if I had to, if I had to come down on a thumbs up or a thumbs down side of the hate you get out, give, I would give it a thumbs up. Okay. Um, it's in many ways, it's a big mess, but in also in many ways, it's also so, ambitious and the number of things and the scope of things and the weight of the things that it's trying to address that I can kind of forgive it for being a mess some of the time. Um, but, uh, it was, I, I felt whiplash by this movie between occasionally, you know, some start, some parts rolling my eyes and then some parts being incredibly moved or some parts being like, Oh, I can't believe they took that. You know, they took it there. And uh, because do you know the story of the hate? The, I know. I, I don't know any of it. So it's about a, a, a girl who lives in a low income, um, majority black neighborhood, okay. but goes to school, uh, at a private Catholic school in a wealthy neighborhood okay. with mostly white kids. And when she's home one weekend, uh, after a party, her friend, uh, a boy she grew up with gives her a ride home. They get stopped by the cops. He gets shot by the, he's unarmed. He mm. gets shot by the shot and killed. Uh, by a white police officer become it becomes nationwide news um, protests form and she is most of the a lot of a lot of the 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 dramatic sort of tension of the movie is her deciding whether or not to speak up and testify to the grand jury and come forward as as the witness because um, on the one hand that would be a way to at least fight for justice for her friend who was killed. But also on the other hand, it opens her and her family up to a lot of abuse, both from the, from the, you know, pro from the, you know, 
quote unquote blue lives matter crowd, but also from people in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways, because, uh, and uh, the movie also deals with the fact that, uh, like with, like what often happens in these stories is that so many people who are, whatever their motive, I don't want to speculate as their motivations, but often you feel you've seen these people being like, well, this guy was no saint, you know, he was, uh, yeah. uh, you know, and that's in this case, that's true. Her friend, she was a childhood friend. They hadn't seen each other in years before they ran, ran into each other at this party. He is now a drug dealer. Um, right. and so that becomes a big thing. And so, uh, the, the sort of drug Lord that he works or the neighborhood drug Lord that, that he works for played by Anthony Mackie becomes a villain in some ways, but also obviously a lot of the, uh, pressure from the outside. Um, uh, although there are very few, uh, there aren't really any, well, there's one eventually, but I don't want to give it away, but there aren't really any characters who are, who represent like single characters who represent like this person is the racist. Right. Racism is coming at her from all sides uh, you know, but it, it uh, the movie I think smartly doesn't try to distill it down into one individual, right? Um, but then there's some stuff uh, that uh, I, I feel like because she has a white boyfriend, and I feel like there are conversations that she has with her white boyfriend that are very much the screenplay saying, "See, white people see it this way, but they don't understand this way," and the, and the right. conversation is just illustrating ideas, and that kind of takes some of the like it's trying to do. It's trying to be everything like it, and represent everything. It, yeah. And, and I found that sort of annoying, but then sometimes it would get into much, much thornier stuff. Like I said, about the idea that, um, uh, not everyone in her community wants her to, to bring this on them, uh, you know, to, to speak up and, and right. bring this attention on themselves or the fact that one of the characters, uh, her uncle played by common is a black police officer who, you know has a very um uh what's the word i'm looking for very nuanced take sure. on this whole situation and that, and that gets aired in like so the parts on the movie game gives you like it really chews on stuff is are really good and there's parts where it's just like uh it, where, where it just feels instructive but in, mm-hmm. in, in ways i do think i i i would I, just as from an you know edifying point of view or just as a conversation starter i want a lot of people to see this movie yeah um i think it's really great that this exists but i also think that it's a bummer that it's in the hands of george tillman who's kind of a hack i think um you know he made like uh uh i think his biggest ones are soul food and men of honor um i never saw soul food men of honor is no good he made a movie um what was it called? The defeat of Mr. And Pete or something like that a couple of years ago that I reviewed for the site that I did not like. Um, I, I just, I don't tend to like his just very, he's a very bland director in so many ways. Uh, although the cinematography is by, uh, I'm going to attempt his name. Mihai Milamare. He shot mm-hmm. the master. Oh, all right. Yeah. He's it, it, definitely a good looking movie and that goes a long way. Uh, but I, I just find myself going back and forth in the movie. Ultimately, I'm really glad it exists. Uh, I think it accomplishes a lot of, uh, a, a lot of stuff and, um, doesn't back down on, on certain things that are, that are very important. Um, I also found myself, like I said, rolling my eyes a lot. There's a part, uh, there's a part early on. <laughs> this is, you, you just learned this term okay. on our, uh, 
on our Harry Potter. I learned a lot of terms. Yeah, on our Harry okay. Potter uh, uh, commentary marathon. But in her voice over the beginning, yes, there's voiceover, unfortunately. Uh, she's talking about how how much her parents love each other. And it's like, she's like, uh, you know, I act grossed out or whatever, but they're my OTP, one true pairing. Ugh. And it's like, hold on, who is this one? Like, <laughs> She, uh, someone she her telling age, the story to? exactly. Someone her age knows what OTP <laughs> means. Why is she going one true pairing? Which is it? it, it that's it, I feel like that's indicative of a lot of the movies. Wouldn't it be um, funny if you if, tone if that part was voiced by obviously a studio exec? My OTP one true pairing. <laughs> yeah, and just <laughs> yeah. Um, but I will say another thing I liked about it is that. Uh, at first I felt like, is this movie just made, like I said, it's edifying. Is this movie just aimed at, um, you know, a white audience that doesn't have Mm. these experiences just for that. And it's clearly not eventually at first. It seems that way. It, like I said, as it goes on, it gets into more thornier stuff. It, it understands that these issues are not, uh, are not simple at all. Um, and it, it gets much better as it goes on. I definitely liked it by the end, but it's, I mean, it's like two hours and 15 minutes and it definitely, um, wow. I think kind of, there's some, I don't want to call it wheel spinning, but there's some stuff that, that sucks the drama out of the movie, uh, especially more so in the first half. Um, but again, I, I don't know. It's definitely worth seeing, I just, I guess I wish it had been, I wish that the script could have gotten another pass yeah. and I wish it were in the hands of a director, um, with, uh, a little more of a gentle touch than George Tillman. Yeah. I was looking up his filmography and, uh, there's a movie that he directed that now that I see it, I think I remember it. <laughs> it's called faster from 2010 with Dwayne, the rock Johnson oh, and Billy right. Bob Thornton. I never saw that. Yeah. I, I, cer- that. I certainly didn't see it. And as I'm looking, I was just like, this just evaporated from, from my mind. Not that it was firmly in there in the first place, but yeah, yeah. I can't remember why I was thinking about this movie or why. It po- oh, you know, I was just scrolling through my letterbox, like all the films that I'd seen. Mm. And I passed the remake of the gambler with Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. It was only like three years old. Everyone has forgotten. <laughs> Everyone forgot it immediately. I remember John Goodman in it. I remember uh, liking I, him. I remember the, the, the songs on the soundtrack. And it's, it's like, mm. a well, it's a real needle drop movie. That's wall to wall. Great songs. I actually really, like I had a good time watching it. I, I don't think it's it. very good yeah. as a movie, but I had a good time watching it's, it. It's a sense. solid three star movie. <laughs> there you go, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, well, I gave the hate you give three and a half stars. Okay. So. All right. Uh, okay. So I watched, um, two TV shows. One was of course survivor. Um, as of, uh, right now at this moment, Jen and I have not recorded our episode of worth playing for about it, but, uh, it is in many ways, uh, an essential or a quintessential survivor episode in regards to like people talking about what it is to play survivor and the, uh, literally like somebody lectures someone else about, you know, you, you aren't self-aware enough and you're rubbing people the wrong way, which is actually true. Mm -hmm. 
but the person lecturing is also <laughs> unself-aware and uh, he winds up getting voted out and it's a, he has no idea it's coming. And so it's, it's that kind of thing where it's, it's possible to get so locked in to somebody else making bad, bad decisions that, and, and knowing that everybody else knows they're making bad mm-hmm. decisions that you just completely, you are, you feel like, well, surely anything I do or say, yeah. uh, is, is nothing compared to them. So it's, it's, uh, so I would say if nothing else, it's a very instructive, uh, episode. So, uh, I also watched a TV show or more specifically, I tried to, I got an episode and a half into season five of arrested development. Oh, wow. And I am not going to finish. It is. It is this Frankenstein's monster thing. Like, I mean, that's what season four was as well. Um, But I think five is just. I think because they clearly couldn't get everybody at the same time. And so they wrote around it, which means that the narr- the Ron Howard narrator is such a big part of it. I mean, it, I feel like this thing is like 65% narration. <laughs> and so it's all on that voice to deliver the jokes and to set things up. And it's like a, f- it's a French farce, but sped up and nobody's really in the same place, <laughs> you know? Uh, imagine doors slamming, but in mansions across the street from each other, you know, it's, it's very frustrating. And it's one of those things like I need a fucking flow chart to keep track of what everybody's doing. And while I'm trying to, like, it's possible to get comedy out of confusion, Uh but it needs to be as fine tuned as possible. But that's the thing is if you fine tune it too much, now it's airless. And there's no room for laughter. And so I feel like there are scenes where it's, it feels almost sloppy and doesn't know what it's trying to do. And then others where it's so focused on plot and making sure you're keeping up with everything that's happening. It's like, okay, that's fine, but there's no room for character or laughs here. And it's just, it is a pale imitation Mm. of what the show used to be. I mean, it's too bad. It's unfortunate, but because that was one of the defenders of the fourth season. Actually, the fourth season has mo- has its moments, yes. Um, but a lot of people complained about it, and I think Mitch Hurwitz said that like seemed to think by by recutting the fourth season at one point. Oh, yeah, I haven't watched that. Uh, I Jason, friend of the show, Jason Eakin watched it, and he said that like it's even worse. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's I just can't get over. I guess I can. I guess I I can understand just some things were just this they were of the of their moment and they arrested development launched several careers mm-hmm. um and then those people went and did ama- some pretty amazing things and i don't know it's uh, and then i guess fans were like oh we love this thing it's like yeah that's fine but either you you love this thing and it is a perfect three season show or we bring it back give you what you seem to think you want and now it is a a once funny now deeply flawed five season show and it's just not like 
if if seasons four and five were gone forever mm-hmm. and future generations only <laughs> ever saw the first three, I, I think that we we'd be in good shape. But n- not good, not good.